Today's scripture is Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Now during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, shout out to Holly Anderson, who just nailed all seven of those names in the text. <clears throat> Not an easy thing to do. Let's start the sermon this morning with an earth-shattering truth. Hold on to your seats. It turns out that more stuff gets done when you work as part of a team. Whoa! Groundbreaking. I know. Turns out more stuff gets done when you work as part of a team. When I think about that truth, I go back to a moment that happened for me in my first year of ministry. I needed to move that year from one rental house to another. I had only lived in town something like nine months, but I had a crappy landlord and I had found a new place to rent and I wanted to go there. So I had one weekend to move and I had spent some time boxing up my things, but uh, I was looking, I thought, at a long couple days of moving from the old place into the new place. Now, obviously, I could not do it all by myself. I am not tall enough or strong enough to commandeer a queen mattress all by myself. And at the time, I was driving a Pontiac Vibe. So yeah, I needed a little bit of help. Uh, so I, I went and I asked someone on the church staff that I was working on if they could possibly come over on Saturday with their truck. And they said, sure. And they said, what time should we come? Well, 10 o'clock. Okay, great, 10 o'clock. So 10 a.m. on Saturday, I stepped out onto my porch and saw something like five vehicles pull up. And seven or eight people came into my house. I knew them all. I just did not expect them all to be there. Before I even knew what happened, what was happening, my furniture was being carried out the door. All the boxes from the kitchen were on their way into SUVs. Even the clothes in my closet were being carried out and put on the back seat of someone else's car. Suddenly, it was all loaded. Now, granted, I was less than a year out of graduate school, so it's not like I had a lot of stuff. But still, it happened so fast, it seemed like I had just blinked. 
Where are we going? One of my friends said. So I got into my car and led this caravan of stuff two or three miles to my new townhouse. And when we pulled up, the same thing happened, but in reverse. I got out of the car, I unlocked the door to the house, and all of a sudden, everything was flying into my house. Furniture, boxes, clothes, clothes going back to be placed in a new closet. And by the time I got my car unloaded, I went inside and noticed one friend was making my bed, and another friend was unloading boxes in the kitchen. I looked at my watch. It wasn't even 11 o'clock. <laughs> this team of friends had moved me completely in under 60 minutes. More stuff gets done when you work as part of a team. I've never had a move that easy since, by the way. <laughs> Just gets harder the more stuff you get. But more stuff gets done when you work as part of a team. We know it. We've experienced it. And yet sometimes we forget it. Take heart, though. We are not the first ones to have to rediscover this central truth. It's something the church has had to discover and rediscover over and over and over again. And our story from Acts chapter 6 just happens to be the first moment that the early church discovered this truth. We're spending three weeks here talking about how we are deployed to make a difference. That all of the grace that God pours on us isn't just for us to savor God gives freely. God gives generously. God saves us without us earning it in any way. But then God wants us, once we're secure in God's love and God's promises, God wants us to go out into the world to help others. God wants us to go and share love and blessing with others. And last week, we heard Jesus say that in order to be great in this world, we have to be one who serves, just as he came to serve so his disciples are ones who serve. This week we remember that service is not a solo affair. Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts. And Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Same author, same worldview, continuation of the same story. When the book of Acts starts, it's just a group of disciples, just the small 12 disciples trying to figure out what to do after Jesus' resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit comes on this day that we call Pentecost, and 3,000 people that day believed in the gospel of Jesus and asked to be baptized into the church. And that changed things just a little for them. Right? These, these weren't just 3,000 people who came together for worship on Sundays and then went back to their lives as they'd been living. No, no, no. These 3,000 people came and joined a new community they reoriented their lives to be connected to fellow believers in Jesus. It required a lot of adjustments. And in the chapters that follow that moment at Pentecost, the story sounds like things are going really well for the new church. At the end of chapter 2, we read this. Awe came upon everyone because many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Communal living is what they were doing. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This sounds like a church community where everything is going right. Now, in the next few chapters, we read about a little trouble that Peter and John get into with the high council in Jerusalem, but inside the church, everything still seems to be well and good and going beautifully, and then we get to chapter 6. And at the start of chapter 6, 
we find the first argument inside the church, the first church fight. And as perhaps we could have guessed, it is about the use of money or the use of resources. The specific problem was that not all of the widows that were part of the church were being well cared for. Let's remember for a second that widows were the most vulnerable people in ancient Israel. The Old Testament calls them out for special protection. Jesus himself had encounters with and told stories about widows several times. Widows were low, low on the social totem pole. And unless they had sons who could take care of them, they were very dependent on the charity of others. Poor widow was usually a redundant phrase in ancient Israel. Now, normally the Jewish widows of Jerusalem, they could count on distribution of food from the temple. You can think of it like an ancient food bank. But the women that we're talking about today, these widows, they weren't Jewish anymore. They had converted. They were now a part of the church. They were following Jesus. They were following his teachings. They believed in his saving power. And so the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem, they didn't want to help these women out anymore. They'd been cut out of the temple charity, meaning that it was up to the church now. It was up to the church to take care of these most vulnerable members. We don't know how many widows were in need of support. The scripture doesn't tell us, but we can guess it was quite a few. And what we learn from the story is that some of these women were Aramaic-speaking widows, meaning they were native to Jerusalem or nearby, and they're called the Hebrews in the scripture. And some of them were Greek-speaking widows, meaning they probably grew up outside of Israel and spoke Greek as their primary language, and they're called the Hellenists. And for whatever reason, Scripture doesn't tell us just why, the widows who spoke Greek, the minority, were not getting the same assistance as the widows who spoke Aramaic. Now, was it intentional? We don't know. But it's interesting to me that this very first conflict inside the church comes up uh, not just about who's getting access to what, but is also a conflict around ethnicity. Right? These are two groups of people who were different, and division, <clears throat> division was growing up between them. Was it the language barrier? Was it something cultural about these women who had lived outside of Israel? Was it just that the disciples distributed food to the people they knew best and could speak easiest with, the Aramaic speakers? Was it an intentional or unintentional neglect of the minority group. We don't know. But even in this idyllic time, when passion for Jesus and spreading the faith was so high, these same divisions that we can still see between people were creeping into the church, divisions based on hometown or language or culture. But someone spoke up on behalf of the Greek-speaking widows. Not a widow herself, I don't think, but another Greek-speaking disciple. Some other Hellenists got the attention of the apostles, and the apostles said, okay, yeah, there's a problem. And what did they do? They do whenever a church finds a problem. They had a meeting. They had a meeting, and they decided that they needed to do something about it, but they themselves had too much to do. So they did something miraculous. Now, the scripture does not call it a miracle, but I consider it a miracle. These guys delegated. They delegated. They enlisted more help. They appointed seven other people, people whose names we didn't even know until we get to this point in the story. Seven men of great character and I assume great organizational skills. And they brought them up in front of the whole church and they laid hands on them and they prayed a blessing on them. And then they sent them off to be in charge of making sure that all the widows had enough and were treated equally. And it worked. 
the apostles expanded the team, and more got done in the church, and the church grew and prospered. Now, I know and you know that it's not all quite as simple as the story makes it sound. There had to be training and organization and decisions made, and they had to explain the new system to everybody, and I'm sure there was more than one widow who got upset when she showed up for her food and she was used to seeing Peter or James handing it to her and he wasn't there. But overall, overall it worked. Seven people were set, you guys know that widow, you're laughing, yes. <laughs> overall, these seven people were set aside to do this particular act of service and they did it on behalf of the whole community and it freed up other people to do other ministry tasks, and it helped made the whole community stronger. This is a key part of our service to God, working as part of a team. Jesus makes it clear that we're supposed to serve, that that's part of our calling as disciples. He came to serve others. He asks us to do the same, but not to go out and do it as some lone ranger doing everything ourselves. No, no. He asks us to serve as a part of a community, to do it with other disciples. He asks us to serve as part of a team, because actually that's the only way that we can effectively serve God and share the love of God with this world that so desperately needs it. So today, as we remember these seven deacons, which comes from diakonos in Greek, which just means servant, as we remember these seven deacons today who were enlisted and deployed in Acts chapter 6, I want to encourage you to remember that you are part of a team. You're part of a big old Christian team. And you're part of a United Methodist team. And most importantly, you're part of the team right here at St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Papillion, Nebraska. You are part of this team. Every one of you. And that means that there is a role for you to play in our mission, something for you to do as a part of our ministry. Now, some of you know very well what your part is. You've already figured out that your part of this team is to sing in the choir or to help with children's Sunday school or to help serve at funeral dinners. You know, back when we could do all those things before the pandemic. And we're going to do all those things. We're going to do all those things again and more sometime in 2021. And we're going to hold on together until we get there. We're going to need the whole team to reassemble when that time comes. But some of you know well your place on this team, and some of you, some of you don't. If I asked, what's your spot on this church team, you wouldn't be sure how to answer. And if that's you, I just want to remind you today that we need you as a part of the team. We need you as a part of the team. We get more done when we work as a team, and the bigger the team, the more we get done. Simple. If you don't know yet your spot on St. Paul's ministry team, let's figure that out together. It may take a little time as we sort through it, pandemic and all, but there is still plenty going on in the life of the church and plenty we are preparing for in the future, and I want your gifts. We need your talents, your passions to fuel our ministry. You're a part of a team, which for all of us right now is actually really good news because it means that we're not doing this alone. On those days when the world makes you despair, and I'm just guessing in this season that we all have one or two days a month at least that are like that, maybe more. On those days when the world makes you despair, remember that you are not shouldering this burden alone. You're part of a team, which means you don't have to go out there and fix the world all by yourself. You just do your part, 
and you trust in the power of the team. If we work together, we will make a real difference. Any of you who've been a part of a sports team ever in your life, you know how this works. Some days you feel good, and you're strong, and you help carry others. And some days you show up to play, and you're feeling weak or down or off, and you just have to trust that somebody else is going to help carry you that day. You don't have to score all the points or the runs or the goals or whatever yourself. You just have to be a part of the team. And that's the same thing right here. We don't have to go out and create God's kingdom all by ourselves. We just need to be a part of the team and trust in the power of God and the power of God's team to make the world different. Finally, I want to remind you today that you're a part of a team. And part of being on a team means making space for other people on the team too. You know, the team of the church, it's not like some traveling baseball club or soccer club where you have to audition or try out and there's a limited number of spots. We can always welcome more, and we always want to welcome more people onto the team. So, especially for you all who have been a long part of the servant team here at St. Paul's, what I want to challenge you to do in the months ahead is think about how you can be inviting into leadership new people, just like the apostles shared the work and decision-making with these seven deacons that they've recruited. How are we inviting new people into leadership and developing our team? I trust that you have some stories in your life of moments when you were first given a new responsibility and it felt really scary and at the same time really good. I remember when I was a freshman in college, I signed up to be a part of a mission trip to go to East Africa that summer to Kenya. And I joined the team in the fall. We organized the team in the fall. And all spring long then, we were making preparations for this big trip. And a few times that spring, I happened to wander into the campus ministry office uh, and found the intern who was just a few years older than me who was working on the preparations for the trip. And inevitably, she'd have some kind of logistical problem she was working through, and I'd sit down and we'd talk about it, and I'd sit there with her while she solved it. And then one day she said to me, as I was there in the office, hey, Amy, what about if I put you in charge of the budget and the money for this trip? I said, what? I, I couldn't believe she was serious, but she was. I was 18 years old, and she let me work up the whole budget for the trip, and during the month we were gone, she let me manage all the money, keep all the receipts, handle the cash. It was a tremendous gift to me uh, as a leader. The next summer, we went back to Kenya for six weeks this time, and I got to be a co-leader of the trip. I remember being so irrationally worried the entire time that somehow I was going to lose one of my other t nine teammates, and I was going to have to be the one to make the phone call back to the United States to tell their parents that they were missing somewhere in Kenya. <laughs> so I would go around, and I obsessively counted heads whenever we were together to make sure all ten of us were there. Of course, no one ever went missing. I never had to make that phone call. And I grew so much as a leader because I was invited into a role and responsibility on the team, even one that I wasn't sure I was ready for at the time. If you have a well-established place on our team, on St. Paul's team, my question to you is, who are you inviting into leadership, and how will you help them and mentor them as they take on a new role? More stuff gets done when we work as part of a team. 
we get more satisfaction too. Friends, there is so much work for disciples to do in the world at large and right here in Sarpy County. Thank goodness we are a part of this team, St. Paul's United Methodist Church, blessed by God, deployed here to make God's love known. Amen.